Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. everybody. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, we have such a strange mixture today of excitement because we have finally arrived at Easter Sunday when we celebrate the empty tomb and all that resurrection means for our lives. And we are elated and filled up and we are on fire. And yet we are very well aware that we are not together this day. And so let's just acknowledge that how much we would like to all be in this room that's usually filled with light and flowers and aroma and laughter and hugs and joy. And we are not able to experience that this day. So let's just take a moment to acknowledge that in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are ever with us, you are ever faithful that you connect us in ways that we don't fully understand, that when we're not in the same room, we are still together. But Lord, we miss being in the same room, sharing together, connecting with one another, embracing each other out of love and joy and excitement. Lord, we long for the day that we get to do these things again. I ask that you comfort us, that those who are alone this morning may know of your joy, may know of your presence. And Lord, we think of all of those whom we know are alone. It's not the way this day is meant to be shared. We carry that sadness with us, Lord. Help us to hold the sadness and honor it as appropriate. And as we hold the sadness, Lord, help us to find joy. Lord, we pray these things in your Son, our risen Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's okay to feel joy. It's okay to feel sadness. Um, It's not the first time this church has felt both things on a particular day. And we're going to hear about that in our story today from John 20, because we find the disciples... Uh, three of them are all experiencing different things. And then, of course, the readings, if you keep going beyond the verses 1 through 18 that we read, you're going to see that there are all sorts of disciples feeling different things. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's anger, there's sadness, there's confusion, there's shame. And then through the story, we begin to see the glimmers of hope and joy erupting. So maybe this Easter is an opportunity for us to embrace it like we never have before. We simply greet the day for what it is. It's beautiful, it's inspiring, it's joyful, it's difficult, and it's sad. But Christ is risen nonetheless. Amen? And Christ is risen indeed. Friends, Lent is over and Easter has begun. 
And so we have the white up and the purple has been pretty, but it's so nice to have the white and things bright and cheerful. And we're going to come to our fourth gospel account, the one that we traditionally call John. And we're going to read about this account of the resurrection day. And it's a little different than the other three. They're all different from one another in one way uh, because they're all presenting a different idea about what, the, what it meant. And so this one is, is no different. And so we find some of the themes that we've heard in this gospel account we call John. Light versus dark, belief versus unbelief, good versus evil, and then faith versus misunderstanding. And all of these things are present because they all belong. And wherever we are in the midst of that, we belong too. So let's read John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And it reads, early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was rolled up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have three main characters in our reading today. We have Mary, Peter, and the beloved disciple who is anonymous and unnamed. There are different traditions, but there's another understanding for what this disciple represents. So First, we'll start with Peter, because Peter has consistently represented all of the disciples at once. So he's always kind of the spokesman. He speaks up and speaks on behalf and kind of represents them. And he, re he represents us. 
Peter's always enthusiastic. He's ready. He's ready to leap when Jesus says to leap, even when he doesn't understand why he's leaping. He will rush in and, and claim and say, yes, Jesus, I follow you. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And yet he doesn't quite understand what that means. He misunderstands because he's holding on to his own idea of what that means. And then he flat out denies who Jesus is after having come to know him and see him for himself. And we've all been there. The beloved disciple, what the beloved disciple represents is the intimate and the fullness of relationship with Jesus to which all disciples aspire to have. The beloved disciple has a deep trust, connection, love, and a, a belief. And that's where we all want to be, so close to Jesus that there's more than just a I'm your student relationship. And so the beloved disciple models this. So we have Peter, where most of us are as disciples, where we start, and then we have the beloved disciple where we hope to end up. And then we have Mary, who's the kind of key person in this particular passage. She was healed by Jesus of seven demons. So the number seven would tell us that she was completely in the world, the realm, under the, the reign of darkness. Whatever that means, we don't know. Lots of traditions have given her lots of different reputations, but we don't know. Those are all traditions that came much later. What we do know is that Mary continually models discipleship, and she does in this passage. We know that Mary is bold, but also deals with fear. She goes to the tomb before the light of Sunday has shone. So Sunday actually begins in Jewish time on the sundown of Saturday evening. So as soon as the sun went down, Sabbath was over, it begun this new day. And while it's still dark on the new day, Mary goes to the tomb. And in our theme of light and dark, we know that there's unknowing, there's unbelief still present. And yet something drives Mary to go because she is committed to Jesus. She will leave the room and risk herself to go and see Jesus and take care of his body because she loves him. She finds the tomb open and she goes to get the others. She doesn't quite know what's happened yet. They come to see Peter and this beloved disciple. They're running, and there's lots of running. Mary ran back to tell them, and then they're running to see the empty tomb, and one gets a little head of Peter. The beloved disciple arrives first, kind of looks in, and then Peter goes and enters in, you know, because Peter's going to go all in, of course. He goes in and he sees the full scene of what's happening. He sees, but he doesn't see everything. And what I mean by that is he sees the cloth that had wrapped Jesus' body lying there. And he also sees the cloth that had wrapped Jesus' head rolled up and placed as well. So Peter sees that the body is clearly not there because grave robbers would have taken all of that too. They wouldn't have bothered to unwrap him. So Peter sees this and then he knows that Jesus' body is gone, but this isn't a typical robbery. And then finally, the beloved disciple enters in. He sees what Peter sees, and it says he saw and believed. Now, the particular use of this word, believe, tells us that the beloved disciple believed that Jesus had left death behind. But he did not yet know that that was all to fulfill scripture. He didn't know that that was going to happen, and yet he believed it to happen. Very key moment there. After they leave, then Mary 
finally bends down and looks in to see for herself. And she sees something that the other two did not. She sees two angels, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the foot. Anytime angels are on the scene, it means it's an inbreaking of God's reality. What we often refer to as heaven is God's reality. And Jesus had said that you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He said that's right at the beginning of his ministry. And here we see that where Jesus lay, that angels are present, that something new and divine is happening in this moment. Yet she doesn't quite perceive it fully. She sees it but doesn't know what she's seeing. And then she weeps and turns and there stands Jesus himself. She sees him but doesn't fully perceive. Why would she, you know? I mean, if we were there, we, they weren't dumb. <laughs> the early Christians, the early, early people, the people of ancient times, they were very smart people. They knew that people don't rise up from the dead. That's never happened. Uh, Lazarus, yes, rose up, but it's because Jesus raised him up. And Lazarus emerged from his tomb, but was still all wrapped up, still bound by the grave clothes and the cloth around his head and had to be instructed by Jesus, people had to go and unbind him, untie him, to release him from the reality of death fully. Here, there is no Jesus to raise him up. That was what Mary had to have been thinking. It's Jesus who's died. She just never conceived that he could raise himself, that he would escape the trappings of death fully to where the grave clothes would be left behind, to where he unwrapped his head and laid it to fully symbolize that he has left death behind for good and now is in the full presence of God that he goes on to tell her when he says he has not yet gone up. He is going up. And that's, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so she, she isn't anticipating what's happening. What she's about to realize when he utters her name is going to shake things up for her life and for the world forever. He says, Mary, and the good shepherd knows the name of his followers, and the followers know the voice of their shepherd. And she suddenly knows, perceives correctly who he is. And she goes to hang on to him when he says, don't hang on to me, for I have not yet gone up to the Father or ascended to the Father. But instead, he gives her this, this command or this instruction. But first, let's think about what he means by going up to the Father, because the gospel that we call John is all about what Jesus is doing. And the gospel of John calls it all one hour. So the hour began at that, that last meal that Jesus shared with the disciples washing of feet. When Judas left, the hour officially began, and the hour is still happening at this time when Mary sees Jesus, even though it's a couple of days later. He says he's going up, and this is going to finish the work Jesus said he had to be lifted up. He had to be exalted, is the word that is used in the gospel. And he had to glorify God. And he was glorifying God in this hour. And the lifting up is the lifting of the cross. The lifting up is lifting up from death. And the lifting up is the going up to God, to returning to God from whence Jesus came. Don't hang on to me, Mary. I haven't yet gone up and completed my work. Mary is wanting to grab Jesus and never let him go. She never wants to lose him again. And Jesus is Mary, not yet. It's a strange notion in our Western culture. We like a story that's nice and tidy and linear and chronological, but that's, 
That's only the way that the gospel writer tells it to us because it's the only way that we can really grasp this grander reality of what's happening. Jesus is going to go up to God, to an entirely new reality and presence with God as a human. Jesus is going to ascend there and then. He, Mary goes and Jesus is going to ascend and Jesus is going to ascend here and now ever present in this new way. What Jesus accomplishes through these three acts, the three lifting up, cannot be told in a linear story neatly, or we can just easily grasp it. We are limited in our scope. We struggle to understand it. So we retell the story and we sit with it and allow it to reveal itself to us. That's what faith is. It's a gift. But nonetheless, despite our lack of full knowledge and understanding, we may see but not perceive. We may perceive but not yet know. Jesus is in this entirely new reality, and we see it hinted to us in the gospel story. He's present with them physically in a way that he wasn't before, and he seems to kind of flitter in and out of a physical presence. And just a couple of verses later, he shows up in a locked room where there's no way he could have came through the door. And then later he shows up again uh, and no way for him to have entered the room. They make sure to tell us that. He disappears and reappears and there's kind of this mystery of what's he doing? It's as if he's stepping behind a veil and then stepping back out of it and revealing himself because he is present with God and with us in this entirely new way. And this ascension isn't just about going up, literally. It's just entering into a new reality. He is still at work, even today. Even though we can't see him, we know he will come back. So Mary must not hinder his movement. She must not hinder his work by attempting to hold on and claim him for herself. She must allow him to go where he needs to go and do what he needs to do. But he does give her this announcement of good news. He says that she needs to tell all of the disciples. And the word there actually literally means the community. It's translated in our Bible today, brothers and sisters, but it means tell the whole community, young and old, male and female, tell them all that he has gone to be with his father, who is our father, to be with his God, who is our God. And for the first time in the gospel, what was promised in chapter one, that we would all become children of God and children of light through Jesus Christ, we are through what Jesus does. Now, the relationship that Jesus and God have is the relationship that we and God have. And the way that that works, the way he tries to explain that after the last meal, he says, look, the relationship that I have with God is now going to be just like the relationship I have with you. And if I have the same relationship with you that I have with God, then you and God have the same relationship because of me, through me. He gives her this good news. My God is your God. My father is your father. And that language is all about, as Chris Burkhardt explained a few weeks ago, it's about this household metaphor that, that walks with the first century understanding of family, that the head of the household was the father, the oldest male figure. We operate a little different today, so father doesn't always translate. God is the head of the household. God is our parent, all of our parent. We follow the rules of the parent. We belong to the family of the parent. We have the surname, the last name that belongs to God. We receive a new name through God, because now we are a part of this family. And that's what Jesus is telling 
Mary, tell them that we're all part of the same family now. Through Jesus, death, the ruler of the world, has been defeated. Ascension to God in this new reality is now the new way of life. All of Jesus' disciples are invited into this life through Jesus because the relationship they have with Jesus gives them the relationship they have with God. No longer are they, no longer are we under the threat of death because God gets the last word. Amen? Are you with me? Can you feel it? No longer are they or we subject to the will or way of anyone or anything else other than our parent, God. Because it is God's household, all of creation belongs to God, and it runs by God's way and rules. And we are in the midst of this transformation, the renewal of all things, including us. Where we used to answer to ourselves and our own desires, we no longer need to. Where we used to answer to earthly rulers, we now answer tr solely to God. Where we used to be slaves to our temptation and our sin, we now can be free through the Holy Spirit, which is given to all the disciples on that first Easter day, just a few verses later in this passage. My friends, we are children of God. We are sisters and brothers of one another. We are sisters and brothers of Jesus. We all share one family name. We are the new family. We are the new community. We are the new creation. There's a reason that the gospel writer says, on the first day of the new week, life bursts forth from the garden tomb and where it's told that one man brought with, with him the fall of everything. It's through one man that the new life and new community and family is established in Jesus Christ. You see the good news of the risen Savior. This is a fairly simple message, right, in, in a sense, but it's also very deep, and we struggle with it because understanding this shakes everything up. It contradicts everything that we have thought life is about up to this point because we're still caught up in things in our life that we don't need to be caught up in. Amen? We still get worked up about what's happening somewhere else in our country. We still get worked up about what others have to say about politics, about theology. We still get wrapped up in it and allow it to rule our lives to the point where now we're responding not out of love, but out of something else. We can be free of this if we just accept the risen Christ empty tomb reality. What we make our lives about is shaken up with this good news that was revealed through the risen Lord. What you strive for in life, whatever it is, maybe you don't even know. Maybe you do know. It's whatever gets you out of bed in the morning. What makes you think this is what life's about? This is what's motivating me. This is what's driving me. This is why I'm making the decisions I'm making. This is why I'm spending money the way I'm spending money. This is why I'm spending time the way I'm spending time. This is why I'm devoting myself and committing myself to my job, to my relationships. This is what I spend my time thinking about and stirring about. All of that can be shaken up if we come to accept the good news of the risen Lord. And once we submit to the new reality, new family, new creation reality with God, 
it changes everything. It'll change how you govern your day, how you make decisions, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your enemies, how you treat your family. It'll change how you understand what church is. It'll change what you understand about yourself to be. It'll, it'll change what you think about God when you truly understand the love. It'll change how you respond to politics. It'll change how you respond to theological differences. It's going to change how you live. It's going to change how you breathe. It's going to change how you respond to difficult situations like COVID-19. It all changes when we not only see when we not only perceive, when we not only believe, but when we know that we are already children of God. We're already children of light because of what Jesus did. The empty tomb proves this. Jesus defeated death and we are now fully God's and God's family. We are in the presence of God in a way that we have never been because we receive the Holy Spirit. We actually dwell with God, with the presence of Christ. And when we realize this, we suddenly realize we have nothing left to try to earn. All the things that our souls thirst for and pine for, all of it, we come to realize it's already ours. We just need to accept, believe, know. Now Mary, was given the first eyewitness message from Jesus about this good news and its fullness. She was commissioned as the first preaching pastor disciple, and she goes and tells the whole community the very first evangelistic message that Jesus is risen, and we are all now part of the family, that Jesus' Father is our Father, that Jesus' God is our God. The process of community is, is complicated. When she tells that news, I imagine Peter saying, hmm, let me think on this. I imagine Thomas saying, I got to see it to believe it, right? I imagine the beloved disciple saying, of course, of course, that's what the shroud, the cloth meant. Aren't we all represented by this mixed bag of responses that we see over the next several verses? Aren't we all somewhere between full belief and full doubt? Or maybe we're just waiting for the revitalization that Peter's going to receive in chapter 21. We proclaim Jesus Christ, but we still have questions. Yes, and that's okay. That's okay. If we didn't have any questions, it wouldn't be faith, would it? So my friends, this Easter day, let this empty tomb be more than simply a reason to celebrate on this day. Let the empty tomb tell you the truth. Consider all that it means to be fully God's here and now as a part of the new community where we all share one name. Consider what this means for today and every day going forward. Consider what this means for the way we respond to the world around us and whatever the world has to throw our way. Consider what it means for the way that we live our lives that we may Embrace the life of being shaken up. My friends, be Peter. Be Peter. Seize every opportunity to explore and wonder, even amidst fear and doubt and denial. Be the beloved disciple. Believe before you fully know and aspire to have intimacy with Jesus. And my friends, this day, be Mary. Proclaim. Proclaim as a disciple 
to everyone all that you have seen and heard and invite them to come and see for themselves. Let them know of the good news. Don't hang on to any particular notion of what you think Jesus is and what this all means. Instead, don't hold on and allow the Holy Spirit to bring you into a life to where God works through us and for us and brings about all sorts of wonderful and unexpected, shaken up events and days and moments and wonders in our lives. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Grace and peace. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you experienced God's blessing through our time together. To learn more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.